be reading Joel chapter 3, verses 9 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Proclaim this among the nations. Consecrate for war. Stir up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I'm a warrior. Hasten and come, all you surrounding nations, and gather yourselves there. Bring down your warriors, O Lord. Let the nations stir themselves up and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Go in, tread, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their evil is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. And now we turn to the New Testament passage, which is from in the, found in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Our passage we'll be looking at more carefully is verses 5 through 21, but I will start with verse 1, chapter 2 of the book of Acts, and read the whole section. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders on the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. 
and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It sends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Lord and Father, we thank you for giving us this word. And now may we understand it through your spirit, not only to understand it in our minds, but to live it out and to uh, see its implications in the truths of the gospel revealed here. May the uh, meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is now the second in a series of sermons I'm preaching on Acts 2, which is particularly because of Pentecost. This uh, section we were reading is the beginning of the revelation of this historical event on Pentecost. It is this uh, event which is so magnificent in its meaning and implications. And this is the second. We're actually just going to do a, you know, a slice toward the beginning of it. If we had time, we would really read the whole of chapter 2 of the book of Acts. It's, uh, it's really necessary to see all that's going on. I'll make reference to some of the other things later in the passage. But this is particularly a place where God has done something which is most notable. Now, the Lord could have come... He could have sent the Holy Spirit in a way that was uh, different. He could have sent, for example, the Holy Spirit like a dove coming down from heaven, like at Jesus' baptism. Uh, He could have come in this uh, still small voice, like the prophet uh, Elijah. This, This small voice, this not tearing wind sound, but this quiet voice that Elijah heard. Or uh, King Saul was uh, standing in a field and all of a sudden a band of prophets came up with musical instruments and and they were uh, very loud and uh, enthusiastic and then he prophesied afterwards. This is what could have happened. You could have had these people, there's about 120 people we know from chapter 1 of the book of Acts, there are about 120 people in this room during Pentecost. And you could have had this band of prophets come in with musical instruments and set up a band, and then we'd have uh, quite a a show. But he didn't do that. What he did was actually more spectacular, more supernatural, and more important for us in uh, the way that he uh, demonstrated this. And and this is is a, a, a passage that is very rich in its significance and meaning, A first reading perhaps doesn't show that, but this is a really important passage for us today. Now, Pentecost was a big harvest festival. It was the second of three main festivals in the Jewish calendar. It's called Pentecost because it was held 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after Passover. It was sometime in the middle of the summer when they had a wheat harvest. Uh, we all know about harvest time in, uh, in the Willamette Valley, and this was uh, a time when they would offer the first fruits of their wheat harvest, uh, grain harvest, sometimes it's barley as well, uh, and they would bring them into the temple. And this was a big time. You actually had 
visitors from around the Mediterranean world, Jewish visitors, come for this particular harvest. They may not be able to get there for uh, Passover, but they would surely come for Pentecost. So you had big crowds of people in Jerusalem. And this was, this was all intentional. The Lord waited for that time to send his Holy Spirit when you have this crowd of people from around the Mediterranean world uh, coming in to Jerusalem. So there are these huge crowds. And uh, as Luke says in verse 5, there are devout Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation under heaven. This is, uh, this is really the known world at the time. Well, they knew of other places, but this is like the representative sample of the whole of the Eastern Mediterranean from Africa all the way around to Rome, uh, Italy. So you have the whole Mediterranean world penetrating even into Mesopotamia. Uh, and so this is a huge area. There's some 15 cities uh, and uh, regions. The regions are about the size of a modern uh, U.S. state. So you have the you know relatively large areas mentioned. There are 15 of them in this list that Luke gives us. And I don't think he intends us to take this as exhaustive. There might have been people from other places uh, like Greece uh, that he doesn't mention. But that's taken into uh, consideration when he's, he's saying this is people from all over. And here, here are the kinds of places represented. Uh, now, our text is divided into two, and I will address the passage from that uh, twofold uh, grouping. The first is the crowd and the people uh, in Jerusalem, and this is in verses uh, 5 through uh, 13. And then the second part is just the second half of the passage when Peter stands up and gives his address. So that's, that's how we will divide this text. Talking first about the crowd, in verse 11, we're told that they were Jews and converts. So there were people who were converted to Judaism, uh, and they were, the, they were the bulk of the people there. We're not talking yet about Gentiles uh, like uh, most of us, uh, but, in, but that comes later. But instead, you have Jewish people and people who were converted to Judaism from throughout the eastern part of the Mediterranean in particular, uh, but it really encompasses the known area, inhabited area of, Med of the Mediterranean. Uh, and the focus here is not particularly on geography as much as it focuses on the language groups. So these are people we know had distinctive dialects or languages uh, who uh, spoke in a way that was not uh, in their, in, at their home it, that was not the norm. The normal language throughout the Mediterranean world was Greek, and then in Judea and Galilee, there was also Aramaic, which is a like, very similar, like a cousin to uh, Hebrew. Um, but these people spoke different languages. We know some of those languages actually mentioned later in the book of Acts, like Lycaonian, this uh, language probably related to Hittite would be my guess. So this is a, uh, an area where people are speaking different languages, and that's the focus of Luke's geographical reference here. And the, the main thing to point out here, unlike uh, what we hear today with the speaking in tongues, is that this is not incoherent or private. 
This is a, these are known languages that people are speaking. And we're told later that they were speaking about the magnificent acts of God. Uh, and they were speaking in a way that you could understand what they're saying. This is uh, uh, furthermore said to be prophecy. That's what the Joel text uh, clarifies. I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. So this is prophecy. They're speaking about God's actions. We actually had that uh, reference in our Psalm 96. You know, we're to sing to the Lord because he's done mighty things. This is what's happening is they're speaking of the mighty actions of God. And they're, uh, they're speaking in a way that the people could hear in their own languages. Uh, and it was coherent to them, but it was prophecy that they're, they're engaged in. Now, this is a prophecy that, as far as we know, is not repeated. These are, these are people who were given prophecy at that time. This happens quite often in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Saul, for example, in uh, Kings, the book of 1 Kings, he does prophesy when these prophets come up with their musical instruments, uh, and yet we're not told that he ever prophesied again. Uh, Zechariah, father of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, we're told that he prophesied when he gave that long reference to his son, John the Baptist, and his ministry, but we're not told that he prophesied again. Uh, we find uh, disciples in Ephesus in Acts 19, they prophesied as well, uh, but we're not told, for example, that Peter ever did this again. He, and interestingly, as far as we know, Peter's speaking one language in this address that he's given. So the prophecy that's going on is a unique event in history for these people. You can have this kind of prophecy again later in Acts, but even there, it's a development in what we call redemptive history. God is doing something new in the way he reveals what he's up to because he's up to something new. And that's how we have, that's what the scripture is all about. when God acts in a new way, he does something to redeem us and advances that redemption and seals it to us, he tells us what's going on. You have revelation attending redemptive actions. And that's a, that's a biblical uh, notion that you see happening here. In other words, if you came today expecting this same thing to happen, I hope you're not disappointed. What you should be is simply biblically aware we didn't expect it to happen. Now, if it were biblical for us to expect this same event to happen today, you know, at 11 (laughs) o'clock, we would have told you. (laughs) And we would be ready for it. And you would expect it. Because the Lord is here in the same way he was there then. But he was demonstrating his presence because he had something to show us historically at Pentecost that has repercussions for you and me today. There's a clear and necessary implication of what happened then and what's happening here today. Let me, I'll explain that when we get further into our passage. But this is a sign. 
This is a sign of what's happening. If you want to see this discussed in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Hebrews 2, 1 through 5. You can read that. Uh, that the Lord was speaking so great a salvation. It was first spoken to us by the Lord himself, then by those who heard. And then it says, with God co-testifying. God testifying along with the testimony of the apostles, those who heard, with signs and wonders and partitionings out of the Spirit as much as he wished. And that's, that's, that's what Hebrews says there. He's actually making reference to uh, this passage in Acts 2, this partitioning out of the Spirit. Not that the Spirit is being divided, but he's being given to people. He's, his gifts are being demonstrated to the individuals in that room. Each one of those people has this tongue of fire on their head. Notice the tongue of fire isn't this pillar of fire on the building. It's on the individual people because he's building a new temple out of living stones. The people of God. This is why this building is great and we love it. But this is not a temple. This building is not itself anything special. What's special is you being here. You are the temple of God. Where you have gathered in the name of the Lord Jesus, now we have a temple. Now we have living stones being built up together so that we will be testifying and singing and praying knowing that the Lord is here. Because the whole point of a temple is it's where God meets with his people. It's where he comes to be with his people, to strengthen us for our pilgrimage. And that's what's happened today. And so this purpose of uh, Pentecost and the Spirit being poured out is to give you a sign and a sure testimony from God that he is with his people. Now, I didn't, I told you Hebrews 2, 1 through 5, and I didn't make reference to chapter 5, or verse 5. Verse 5 says, concerning the world to come, concerning which we're speaking. He did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we're speaking. The book of Hebrews says, once you have that partitioning out of the Spirit, you've got the world to come going on. It's the world to come. It's the new creation that is now being inaugurated. Now we have to look at that. Let's turn now to one of the main features of that. And that's in these languages from these people throughout the, Medi the known Mediterranean world now. Remember, they didn't know about our world. It didn't exist in their mind. They knew nothing about it. They knew about some other places like China and India, but they didn't know about the Americas. And, and so for them, it's, it's penetrating to the known world. And what's happening here, and I think this explains why in, um, in our passage, verse 9, you have Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia. It's interesting, residents of Mesopotamia. Well, you know, this whole area 
Parthians and Medes and Edomites. That's all the Mesopotamia. Why does he, why does he uh, bring that out and kind of stress it? That's where the Tower of Babel was back in Genesis. That's where the tower that people were building to reach to the heavens on their own without God. And God threw them into confusion and essentially made this tower impossible to build because he threw their languages into confusion. You didn't anymore have a universal language. God is reversing that at Pentecost. That's why it's stressed here. God shows that that, that whole that whole division of peoples into different places, often at war and uh, unable to understand each other, now are going to be brought together into one new place together in through the Spirit of God. And that's what's happening. Pentecost is this sign and demonstration and affecting of this union of all the nations in the presence of God. Now, what, how did the people respond? I, I, I like this because it's just uh, easy to show. And let me just give you the, what I use when I'm thinking through these things. You can do it yourselves. When you get words that are repeated in a passage, these are not long passages. You get words that are repeated, it's because it's important. <laughs> it's the thing you look at. Even particularly when you have the same word repeated, this is this is what you have. Here in here's how the people responded. Verse six, they were bewildered. Verse seven, they were amazed. Verse seven, they were astonished. Verse uh, twelve, they were amazed. And verse twelve again, they were perplexed. Now I like this word amazed because it also means to be crazy. <laughs> it it really means they were flabbergasted. Our, our uh, translations are too polite to say it that way, but these people are flabbergasted. They are floored. They're rolling around the ground out of their minds. Not literally, but they just have no way to comprehend what's going on. It is so beyond their understanding, they have no way to process this. Brothers and sisters, this is what happens when you encounter the living God. People normally fall down like dead people and say, I'm undone. I'm going to die. I can't be in his presence. And that's how they respond. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They needed preaching to understand it. Notice what they say. What does this mean? This is, this is what you get at the end of this passage. Verse 12. What does this mean? The speaking of the, their language of the mighty works of God didn't explain to them what it meant. Peter had to stand up and give a sermon. And so that's why you get a sermon every Lord's Day twice. For you as the people of God, it's because of the inheritance of that task that the person in the pulpit, the minister, is being given to give to you. We inherit that task to clarify, to explain 
and to preach the Word of God to you by the authority of the Word of God. That's what Peter does because they needed preaching. You see this in Romans 10 and other places. You have to have preaching of the Word of God. This is not uh, optional in our worship service. And it's not because I want to be talking to you. It's because Christ calls me to do this for you. This is why I've prepared for this message carefully so that you hear the word of God. And Christ now seals his word to you through his spirit. Now these people were mocking. It's interesting, these Jewish people, they didn't think about Joel too. They didn't think about the prophecy of the Old Testament. What does this stuff mean? They couldn't process it. So Peter had to explain. So he did. He stands up and he preaches the word of God to them. And this is why when you came today, you didn't get a Pentecost event in the actions of the Holy Spirit, a sign which was distinctive for that time. But you do get something derived from our passage, and that is the proclamation of the word of God. You get preaching. So you did come, and you get some Acts 2 here happening in your presence. He preaches. This is normal. This is what happens as the book of Acts unfolds. They start preaching. They start testifying. They start standing up and addressing the people and clarifying and explaining and preaching Christ to people. So then they repent and they believe and then they're saved. So these extraordinary gifts were to catch people's attention, but the outcome was often bewilderment. But their attention is caught, so now they get preaching to explain the word of God to them and to uh, they can hear the word of Christ. So Peter opens, this is part two, Peter opens in verse 14 and says, they're not drunk, it's only the third hour of the day. It's from sunrise on, you just count how many hours. So third hour is roughly, it's a third hour after sunrise. And, you know, at that time of year, it's somewhere between six and seven in the morning. And so it's roughly nine in the morning. And they're not drinking wine at that time. Peter just assumes that they're not drinking wine that early in the morning. And if they were drinking wine, it was simply mixed with a heavy, heavy dose of water um, just because it, it clarified the, the water. So these people are not drunk. And then he says something in his message here in verse 16. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. This is it. Now there are some people today who don't think the Joel passage applies to Pentecost. They think it applies to the future, our future, before the second coming, introducing a new era that will unfold after that. And so they read this text and say, well, Peter isn't saying this is what was said by Joel. It's like what was said by Joel. I disagree. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, you study this. It's really clear. Romans 10, 1 Peter 1, Acts 13. This is what was spoken. It's, you have other places in the scripture. I've mentioned some of them. You have other places in the scripture which makes clear this is what was spoken. What you're seeing today is what Joel was speaking about. 
That's clear. You really can't get around that. You can't let your theology or your expectations of what it should mean color what it does mean. And so this is what Peter says. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And what was uttered? Well, the Joel passage is quite interesting with something we said before. You have repetition. Notice verse 17 and 18. I will pour out my spirit. I will pour out my spirit. You get that twice. And so it kind of frames that early part. So Joel can be divided, the Joel quote, because that's what we have in verses 17 through 21, the Joel quote can be divided into two, 17 and 18, pouring out of the Spirit, and then 19 through 21, which I would call the cosmic signs. So here you have the, the Spirit being poured out. And notice what it says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. On your, on your sons and daughters, and they shall prophesy. Your young men, your old men, my male servants, female servants. I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. Joel makes clear this is a universal pouring out of the spirit. Notice that we're told that the flames of fire sat on the 120 people in that room, and they weren't just men, and they weren't just adults. These flames of fire, if they were, we don't know. But this promises for you and for your children. These flames of fire rested on the people of God. There's no distinction here on who receives the Spirit once you believe. If you believe and you're a five-year-old, you receive the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God resting with you. And this is what's happening in the Joel quote. Notice this range of people. It's not just men, it's women too. Not just young men, it's old men too. Not just old men, it's young men too. There's no distinction now. Young and old, male and female, geographical area. Now there's one thing missing, and that's ethnic origin. You have people converted to Judaism. They were not ethnic Jews. But at this place, in, in this place in the book of Acts, it is Jewish people. Jewish people and converts to Judaism. And if Acts stopped here, you and I would have to become Jewish. We would have to convert to Judaism before we could come to Christ. Then we would have to work hard for the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem because that's where we would go to worship God, because that's Judaism under the Mosaic Covenant. If you were still under that covenant, still in Judaism, we would have to travel periodically to Jerusalem to worship God. We couldn't be doing what we're doing here now. <laughs> Thankfully, the book of Acts didn't stop here. <laughs> it unfolds. Samaria all the way around to the ends of the earth, even all the way to Rome. The book of Acts ends with Rome. The book of Acts opens with Jesus talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God and ends with Paul speaking in Rome to disciples about the kingdom of God. Twice it says that in the book of Acts. And all the way in between, God shows that now the Gentiles will be brought in. Did you notice that passage? 
in Joel 3, assemble the Gentiles together and I will wage war with them? That's been overcome. If you've come, in, if you've come to Christ, you're no longer a Gentile. If you come to Christ, your ethnic origin makes no difference before the Lord. You now belong to Christ, and that is your identity. You don't have to be a Jew first, because now Abraham is your father. Romans 4. In Romans 4, Paul shows, well, look, Abraham himself was not circumcised when he was justified by faith. So he's the father of the Gentiles as well as of the Jews. In one man now, a father of all the nations of the earth. It doesn't matter where you come from. It really doesn't matter before the Lord. Yeah, it's, you know, you have your identity. That's good. It's a good thing to have uh, ethnic customs and identity, family connections. These are good things. But those don't separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He has now broken down that dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles to bring all the people of God together in one new human race, Jew and Gentile, to the Jew first and then to the Greeks, Romans 1. And so that's what's happening here in Pentecost. God is demonstrating that, that this is what's happening. And this is why Peter in verse 17, changes the wording of Joel a little bit because he's interpreting it. He's interpreting, he says, in these last days, or in the last days. In the last days, here's what God will do. Brothers and sisters, we live in the last days. We live in the time of new creation glory begun. And who brings it in? It's the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter says this. When you have the Holy Spirit being poured out, you have a new creation. He's blending us all into one family, one new people from all over the place. And then he's building a temple out of people from every ethnic origin, every geographical origin. Males and females. And notice, my female servants, my male servants, doesn't matter if you're free or slave in that day. You still are coming to God in Christ Jesus as one of his own adopted peculiar people. <laughs> Particular people. The one that he, the private reserve of the Lord. You are his own treasured possession. That's how he regards you in Christ Jesus. He treasures you. You are his own, and he weds you in Christ Jesus. So that's what's happening at Pentecost. If you want a demonstration that these things are true, Pentecost. God testifying to you, along with the testimony of the apostles. God testifying to you. And this is why Peter, interestingly, he didn't have to quote this. This is why he quotes verses 19 through 21 about the sun darkened, the moon turned to blood and all this stuff, all this cosmic upheaval because the old world is shaken. The old creation is shaken at Pentecost. It will never be the same 
The old creation will never be the same because the Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. If you want to see this, read verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, that you yourself know. These mighty works and signs, they're cosmic works. They're works of new creation demonstrating what God is up to. So, brothers and sisters, you have entered into a place. It's not the building that is so special. It is you who are so special. You've entered in this morning to the most important place in this creation. And there are others throughout the world. Praise God. Others throughout the world, including in Corvallis and surrounding cities, reaching all the way across this world to east and west and north and south, where people are gathering in the name of the Lord Jesus by his grace because of what happened on Pentecost. And it's his own special people gathering. So when you come to morning service, when you come to evening service, Come expecting a supernatural event. Come expecting to be filled and your heart renewed. We live in a, in a very tired and sometimes ugly world. It can't be that here. This is the place where you are free now to come before your Heavenly Father who loves you to such an extent that he gave his own only son to pay for all of your sins, to purchase you, that you might be his own private reserve. He purchased you to that end. This is the gospel to you this day. Take this to heart and live going out from this place knowing that no one can take this away from you. No one can take it away from you because the Spirit of God guarantees it to you. Praise God. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Lord and Father, we come before you now. We hardly know what to say with the majesty of what you've done, the wonder of what you've done. Too often, Lord, we, we want to see these kinds of things in our own lives. I don't know. I'm not sure we could take it. Like, like those people originally, we'd be dumbfounded. And it wouldn't have the same meaning. So help us, O oh Lord, to understand the reverberations of Pentecost in our own lives. That we may be encouraged and assured of your fatherly kindness to us. That we have a, an inheritance that cannot be shaken. We have been given so much in Christ Jesus. And now through your spirit, we are strengthened in our inner selves through our faith. Help us to be stronger, O Lord, to be steadfast, full of prayer and praise to you because of what you've done in Pentecost, that we may glorify you, our great Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.